In this episode of Two Black Nerds, we answer questions submitted by recent college graduates. We talk about salaries, personal finances, dealing with people at the office, and much more. It's a long episode, so if you want to listen to a specific answer or just jump around the episode, uh, just go to twoblacknerds.com. Along with that is a list of all the questions that we answered. And once you get to twoblacknerds.com, click on the episode 2016 Graduation Edition to see the timestamps of each question and the links mentioned in the show for each question. We're also giving away two copies of I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Safi. Details end the show and the giveaway ends on June 15th. On that note, here's another episode of Two Black Nerds. Enjoy listening. All right. <clears throat> oh, let me let me clear my throat. Welcome back to another episode of Two Black Nerds. My name is Romeo Quihangana. And Zihai Yakachuku. We've missed y'all. Hope you've missed us. Um, so yeah, Romeo, what's new? What's new? Let's catch up. It's been a minute, so a bit a lot went on. That's true. That's true. Uh, this is oh, this is actually the first episode that we record after uh, the one in January. Um, yes, sir. I guess to catch up the listeners... Uh, finished my first grad school class, uh, so that was good. Um, not to brag, but I got an A. Ooh, ooh. Um, oh, there's over here. <laughs> and uh, now is just it's legitimately uh, legitimately summer, so I'm trying to get things going and uh, you know planning trips, seeing friends and families, and trying to enjoy uh, the warm weather. Although the Midwest is not being so warm. Yeah, no kidding. As we noticed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess on my end, um, if y'all listen to our Where to Start Learning How to Code episode, Romeo announced that I moved to New York City, so I'm no longer in Austin, Texas. I'm actually living in New York now, Uh, technically living in Brooklyn, Uh, go Bushwick. But yeah, I got a new job at DigitalOcean, so been... Loving that, working on some cool stuff, and learning a lot. So, pretty exciting. Kind of starting over again, making friends and whatnot. But hey, it is what it is, right? Yeah, no, I, it's actually pretty exciting. I remember going, uh, you going through the whole transition stuff and all the, like, the long uh, yeah. messages that we had. I still haven't finished unpacking my apartment yet, so <laughs> trying to finish that. It's a lot of stuff. I didn't realize how much crap I actually had until I started unpacking I'm just, like, making boxes filled with stuff to date or sell. Yeah. It's pretty good, though. How, how do you like it? How do you like New York in general? I'm, you know, I like New York because there's a plethora of things to do. It's never a dull moment. Cost of living is a little bit more expensive. Like, actually, I went from living by myself to now um, getting a two-bedroom apartment, so getting a roommate. But that's not, I mean, it's a sacrifice. But at the same time, I still like how there's diversity of things to do here. Um, you know, lively. Um, I've been every time I've gone out, I've had a great time socially. 
like great bars, great music, great scene. It's easy to be creatively inspired because there's so much like street art around, um, artists, like musicians, actors. It's yeah. like a city that has great people. You get people from like, you know, your finance people over on Wall Street to your um, people that are on their starving artist game or designers and all that. It's cool just having that diversity of people. I mean, I will say I, I walked around in New York City and one of the things randomly that I was paying attention to was the shoe game. And I will not lie. The shoe game is I have seen shoes there that I am pretty sure no one has ever worn like that. that like I've seen a shoe that I was pretty sure that only that one person was wearing. Yeah, sure. You think that it's like that? You should go to Tokyo, man. Whenever I was in Tokyo, it was kind of crazy how the shoe game was on point there. People, Reeboks are really popular in Tokyo. Word. Like they're not that popular in America. Yeah, man, the Reebok pumps, like they're like <laughs> staple there. No lie. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, enough about us and this episode. Uh, if some of y'all uh, seen the promotion for it. Uh, is essentially an attempt to give back or rather uh, try to answer questions that we may have had when we're graduating. So we're calling this the graduation edition of Two Black Nerds. And we had a survey out there and a couple of you answered and gave us great questions to ask. So the theme of the episode is what question or questions do you have about living in the real world you wish you could ask your professors but don't so throughout this whole episode um we're gonna answer these questions we uh group them by themes uh so they're not gonna go in the order in which they were submitted so we group them by themes so that we don't necessarily feel like uh we don't repeat ourselves or any information that there's a smooth transition overall and i guess we're gonna start with one of the most blunt questions that someone asked, straight up, and uh, they asked, how much do you make? And Ihai, I will first uh, hand this question to you. All right. So first and foremost, I guess I just want to preface this with a lot of people think it's kind of taboo to ask about pay. But in all honesty, like transparent salaries is very, it's a good thing to discuss, right? Because especially if like, no two people are the same, but at the same time, it lets you gauge whether or not you're being fairly compensated. Um, so I know companies like Buffer have open and transparent salaries, and they have a calculator where you can calculate how much you'd be paid at the company. So being transparent with your salary can help you, not really harm you, because, like, you know, it's just giving you more information. So to answer the question, how much do I make? Um, at my first job at IBM, whenever I was living in Austin, Texas, I was taking home $83,000 a year. Um, and at my new job at DigitalOcean, I make $110,000 a year. Uh, and yeah, the difference between the two pays or like I wasn't paying state and income, state income tax in so wait, Austin. Is well, 110 yeah. your take home or your? Oh, my take home? Oh, you, no. You answered the first one in terms of your take home, not your annual. Oh, my bad. That's my the first one was my annual, not my take home. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, and my second one is one to ten annual. I haven't really actually calculated how much I take home annually, but okay. all I do know is that New York taxes are probably eating around forty percent of my salary, and that's probably being generous. 
Like, I mean, it's not New York tax. Is your tax bracket really? Yeah, it's my tax bracket and your single. Yeah, you know, may have to get like wiped up or something for this tax benefits. (laughs) Joking. Yeah, no, your your tax bracket is uh, one level higher than mine. So you're in the twenty to thirty percent, I believe. I'm in the twenty to twenty eight to twenty five percent. So I make seventy k a year. Bless you. Um, Thank you. So I make seventy k a year, and this is the only job I've had. So I don't have like a second salary to talk about. And I guess, well, that's that's that. I hope that kind of gives you an idea of uh, what to expect in both different gigs that we do. Um, so the next question is: uh, While we talk about taxes, talking about taxes, the next question is. What are taxes and why do they suck? I've had, uh, I thought about this a little bit, and I guess I'll, I'll indulge uh, in a little dissertation before I let Ihai give his opinions that, yes, taxes do, they do suck if you pay attention to how much they're taking away from you. But yeah. I was thinking about it, like, in retrospective, based on the different countries I've lived in, this is the first country where I feel like my tax money is actually providing me something. I'm not saying it's the most, yeah. I'm not saying it's like it's effective at all or it's the most effective system or it's the most efficient system or it's like the fairest tax system ever. It's just say like of all the countries I've lived in, this is the first country where like my tax dollar, I can see it somewhat at work and it's guaranteeing me freedom and that I can expect a prompt response from the public services that are around. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been to Nigeria yeah. and like, I don't know how the tax system there is, <laughs> but like, good joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, I've been to Niger, like I lived in Niger all my life and yes, there, the tax system exists, but you don't see it going back to the general public. You don't see like it being that. reinvested uh, as yeah. well as it is here, you know? And yeah. And I like feel I have the exact same feeling about taxes. Like taxes suck in the sense that, like you know, on paper I can be making one hundred ten thousand dollars a year, but then if you look at like a paycheck or something like that, I'm not taking anywhere near home that much on paper. Like um, I think, I think uh, I get I give like eighteen hundred per paycheck in taxes, and but well actually my bad. That's after that's um after taxes and four hundred one k. Um, yeah, 401k stuff. Um, what's call it? Yeah, 401k stuff, stuff. investment. Yeah, but taxes suck just because, like, you know, this is being taken away from me. But, like Romeo said, while they may suck in that sense of taking away from you, I do feel I do know that, like, the money that I'm paying in taxes is bettering, like, you know, not only my life in terms of being reinvested in, like, you know, the public and like, you know, public transportation. Or something like that, but it's also helping provide for like the fellow man because goes to like government programs and all that as well. So yeah, well, I, I do want I do want to point out that we're not saying that the U.S. tax system is uh, is really fair, or we're, we're also not saying that it's the best in the world. We're just saying yeah. that of the other countries we've been in, at least it's going to somewhere, right? That's how I. Yeah. That's how it helps me feel good about my taxes and. I don't look at my pay stub anymore just because I can see how yep. much money is taken away. So I just like 
look at how much money goes into my bank account instead. And that helps me. Yep. Like, that's what I know, at least I have. So tax return For season sure. is actually like a blessing. I'm like, oh, this is how much money, how, it's like extra that I get this year instead of uh, seeing it in a different way. Yeah. And before we move up that topic, I also want to say another reason why taxes suck is because it's so daggone complicated. There's ways to, like, you know, lower your tax, like the amount you owe in taxes, you know, through deductions, um, investments, um, write-offs, and all that. If you can afford it or if you have really complicated taxes, like many sources of different sources of income, like, for example, if you're due consulting on the side or freelance on the side, while in addition to having a full-time job, and then you have something like royalties or something of the sort coming in as well. You probably want to get a CPA because then you can figure out how to save yourself money through tax write-offs or like um, then you may be able to itemize things that you may not, not even think of. So yeah, right. make friends with a CPA. To you Notre Dame grads, I know you have a lot of accounting friends. You have to have at least one friend that's an accounting major <laughs> that's going to take the CPA. So befriend them because I know I sure as heck hit up all the people I know at Notre Dame like, yo... You do tax stuff, right? They're like, yeah, what's up? And they have that stuff memorized because they've been... That's what they're doing. They had to spend bad hours (laughs) studying for that CPA exam. So it's dope. I will say, though, my tech lead gave me a very interesting take on taxes. And he said, taxes and the tax system. And he said um, this one sentence that I guess we'll go on to the next question afterwards. And he said that if this, there's no reason that a country should have a tax system that a high school education cannot explain, right? Like if you mm-hmm. have a high school education and you have a tax system that's more com- that's too complex for someone with that education to understand, then you're doing something wrong. But mm-hmm. I guess that's just food for thought, and I'm still mulling over that and kind of trying to understand what that means. Now... Um, after talking about taxes, uh, one of the questions we received was financially, what do you do? Uh, how much do you spend on rent based on your salary? And I guess like the main question was to ask about uh, breakdown of how, how do we, I guess this is asset allocation would be essentially how uh, this would be, this question would be interpreted as. Word. And I guess, you want to start this one off? Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll start this one off. Um, and for me, I guess like the, by really my biggest expense personally at the moment uh, is rent, right? Even though it's like, um, man, I'm don't lucky. even. Uh, I'm lucky. Here's the thing. <laughs> I hate you so much. As you, as you should. So one of the benefits, even though my salary is. Uh, significantly lower than the highs, like in comparison, right? I live in a city where things are really cheap, right? For example, uh, for probably the apartment of the same size he has, he has what two two bedroom. Uh, I have a two bedroom, one bath. Yeah, I have a two bed, two bath. Uh, and I pay seven hundred dollars a month, and if you add utilities onto that, that goes to about eight hundred dollars. So. If you put that in percentage of my, uh, how much I make, that's about 15% of what I make I spend on rent. And like the general rule of thumb is that you can spend up to 30% of your uh, take home 
up to 30% of your annual salary on rent, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like the general rule of thumb. So already on that end, I'm doing pretty well. Then the next thing, next thing that probably is uh, pretty high on my expenses. Actually, let me pull up my mint while we're talking. Uh, I think I've spent a a really large amount of money on uh, traveling lately. Uh, at least I know that. Me and, too. And that's just like an indulgence that uh, I guess our salaries can afford it since much of the money that we make is just for rent. Uh, Food-wise, uh, I cook my own food. So I, buy, I spend about 200 uh, 200 to $250 on groceries. Actually, let me, let me pull this up so I can have like... Dang, son. Better. What do you mean, dang, son? Good or bad? That's a lot of money on groceries, B. It's about... But you're a growing 30, boy. It's okay. It's about, what? It's about 30, 30 dineros per... Uh, uh, actually, that's pretty. That's not. No, that's like that's that's like oh, 120. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, it sounds a bit high because it should be like 100, 120. Hold up, I gotta. Mint is acting all up and telling me that I need to verify my own identity on my phone. <laughs> oh, good man, you give you giving estimates. Um, um, so there's that, and uh, I have a car payment that I'm. Oh my god, oh car, oh. If you can afford not to own a car, do not own a car. Right? I'm I'm just gonna oh, I'm just yeah. gonna say that oh, shoot. flat out. Like if you can afford not to own a car, like do not own a car. Uh I just like I spend like I guess the car thing just also about so I've spent some money on insurance. Gas money's not that bad since I live five minutes away. Uh, and also gas is cheap right now. I know. Um, and I guess then, uh, part of my money, so before money even hits my account, I immediately funnel my 401k, uh, I do about like midpoint of what the company matches. So I have that Mm -hmm. going on. Uh, I don't have a Roth yet, uh, looking into that at the moment. And then, uh, for my healthcare plan, I have a health savings account. And so I maxed that out last year, uh, the past two years. Uh, and then this year, I'm just going about half half in, uh, in payment. So because my current health expenditures are predictable. And overall, like I'm left with about, without discounting, tra- discounting travel, I'm left with about 25% of my paycheck as free money to do whatever I want. That's after paying for travels and food and rent and uh, all the electronics that I buy. Oh yeah, so Amazon takes also about 100 to $120 a month based on like random stuff that I buy on there. Are you finished or are you done? I am finished. I'm not done. <laughs> How about right. you? Um, yeah, so I'm not going to go in that much of a breakdown. Um, but so back in Austin, uh, my rent was 1200 a month for one bed, one bath. Um, a lot of my money went towards 
think my most of my money went, went towards rent and food. Um, I, but I started buying like groceries and cooking a lot. I did a lot of meal prep to cut back on uh, having to pay like a lot on food. And let's see, I I did five percent four hundred one k. So I put five percent of my salary into the four hundred one k um to get the match with ibm moving to new york city my rent for a two bed two bathroom apartment for the entire building i pay 1900 a month and i only had to pay that once though because i have a roommate moving in on june 1st mm -hmm. so my rent is going to go down to 950 a month um granted the like space is smaller you know i don't have a dishwasher laundry unit um or central air conditioning but hey it is what it is but so yeah, 950 a month in rent, 5% 401k match, um, because that's all I need to get the maximum match for my company. Um, in terms of transportation, I don't have a car anymore, so um, car insurance and all that stuff, I don't have to pay for that anymore, or maintenance, don't have to pay for gas anymore. Um, my company provides... lucky. I am lucky. I'm very fortunate. My company pays for um, lunch every single day so they cater lunch every single day and we also have a budget for breakfast and dinner depending on if we like get there early enough for breakfast or stay late enough for dinner um so i'm really only on the hook for food on the weekends and even then i don't feel i feel since i don't have to spend that much money during the week on food i don't feel really guilty eating out over the weekends and normally those portions are big enough to um eat for two meals two meals like you know say, yeah, two meals. Yeah. So, and they also pay for my Metro card, which is $116.50 a month. So, I don't have to pay for that either. So, I think really, um, in terms of allocating money, I have been able to get away. Like, I don't really budget as much as I probably should, but I think it's pretty hard for me to overspend. Like, a lot of the money goes towards traveling, whether it's to go see my girlfriend who still lives in Texas or see family members or just random trips that I'm booking the last minute. I have enough leeway in my budget to spontaneously book travel like that. Along, well, domestic travel. Yeah. But I don't have like a hardcore budget or anything like that. But I think it's really hard to overspend. I think a lot of my money that, that I waste or that I could probably cut back on is money I spend going, excuse me, money that I spend going out to like maybe like bars and stuff like that because in New York it's pretty pricey. Other oh, cities yeah. it wasn't that bad. Like Austin, those drinks were way cheaper, but in New York, the drinks are mad expensive. So I think I can cut back on that. But outside of that, like I think I'm all right. oh I think I'm alright. And also I think Ubering back also can take a fair amount like change out of my pocket sometimes. Yeah. But it's just cause you know safety reasons. I'd rather be I feel safer in an Uber than taking the subway back home. Yeah, that's fair. I will say though, like. Going back, uh, whenever I went back to Notre Dame last year, comparing like the price of drinks of South Bend versus Chicago or like a bar in Grand Rapids, I was like, oh my God, these drinks are so cheap. Son, I kept an open uh, tab at Brothers in South Bend on Thursday night. Nice. And I like, I kept an open tab. I was just buying drinks. I was like, huh. By the time I closed out my tab at the end of the night, my tab was like, Forty dollars. I was like, it was a fair amount of drinks. I was paying for drinks for me, my little sister, her best friend, and my older brother. And I'm just like, that would be like three drinks in New York. So I was pleasantly I surprised. I know. Uh, but yeah, 
I hope that gives you an idea of uh, the breakdown. Oh, one thing we forgot to know, I forgot to note, I, for the first year, I aggressively paid off uh, a lot of my loans. Oh, so wow. I, did, I forgot the fact A lot of my student loans. So that's after, yeah. after rent, that's actually the second uh, expensive thing that I, that I usually spend money on. However, I'm currently haven't been as fervent to my aggressive schedule as I had in the past. Yeah. And I'm actually paying $400 a month right now towards loans. It's above the minimum, but yeah, loans take out a good chunk of change, but I'm trying to like, every time I get like a huge lump of money, I try to just put that into my student loans, like my tax return. I didn't even spend any of it on myself. I just do it all into my student loans and paid off like a, like a one to smaller loans. And got that out of the way. I'm trying to like pay them off early, and I think that this will be a good segue into our next question about building a strong financial foundation upon getting our first job. And I think honestly, building a strong financial foundation is a really good book. I'd recommend for you to read is "I Will Teach You to Be Rich." By Ramit Sethi, and that's where I learned a lot about what I'm doing right now. I will say, to like, oh, here's what I'll ahead. say: He doesn't like even if you don't buy the book. There's like a free blog post that we'll link into the show notes where he gives his breakdown of uh, how how you should um, how you should essentially split your money, like your paycheck, how it should be allocated so you can maximize. It. I I even I don't even follow the whole advice, but just understanding that those are all the different types uh, of accounts that are out there that can help me maximize my money. Absolutely awesome. And yeah, so best $10 you'll ever spend. I will teach you to be rich. I've only read the first two chapters so far, and it has earned me that money back in freaking gold. It's so good. And I think, honestly, one shouldn't be scared of, like, the thing is, a lot of people get their first job, and a financial foundation is, the, I think the easiest way to have a strong financial foundation is to live within your means. There's no shame in having a roommate after college, True. like, after your first job. With me, I, in Austin, I was like, I didn't want a roommate because I had interned in Austin for two summers, and I'd had roommates both times. Like, you know what? Let me just get my own place and, like, try that out. But honestly, I'm kind of glad that I'm spending less in rent with a roommate in New York City than I was with uh, living by myself in Austin, just because it allows me to save more money. And I think also if your employer offers 401k matching, cash in on that. That's free money being, yeah, max it out. Max it out until you get that match, like the maximum matching. And that's beneficial because you get free money every single month added into your account. Like when IBM's 401k match, I got like a like five thousand dollars for free for maxing it out, which is pretty dope if you think about it. And that sets you up yeah. for like well down the road. And if you do that for like years on end, you're just setting yourself for financial um, success. And I think also don't eat out every single meal if you can cook, or like even if you don't know how to cook, learn how to cook. Get a slow cooker. Um, it'll be the best investment you can make for making for doing meal prep. Just throw things in there. Crank up the like heat and let it sit for four hours on high or eight yeah. hours on low. You got dinner or lunch for like the rest of the week. And True. I think really it's just, you know, 
there's lots of way of there's lots of easy ways to save money. I think people are just conditioned on like you know eating out for every single meal or um, trying to live extravagantly, or the fear that they don't know how to cook exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the one book that I would recommend on cooking, if the one book, like even though I proud my like I thought of myself as a pretty decent cook, one of the best. Uh, technical breakdown like if you asked uh, if someone ever asked how do you explain cooking to a five-year-old uh, explain to me like I'm five uh, Tim Ferriss the four-hour chef like the first 150 pages essentially break down how to cook uh, almost anything and also Ihai you'll agree with me best steak yo that steak is on point though exactly so I don't know how to make a mean steak because of I spent $35 on a book. So I would say that book also uh, pays itself in about like two or three weeks. And so because I am currently feeling bold, I think uh, I'm going to do a giveaway. Uh, first giveaway. So if you listen to this episode and you really need... Uh, a copy of Ramit Sethi, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Uh, I'll give out two copies. Email us at uh, hello at twoblacknerds.com. Give us three sentences, why you need it, and yeah. your address. No, why you need it, and then we'll contact you. Uh, and then just send that out to you, straight up. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we out of that financial out of the financial uh, category. Mm-hmm. Wait, now we're gonna move into our social questions. Social life. So, uh, someone asked, balancing research with family slash social life, which can also be interpreted as, um, what's that famous phrase that they like to use in corporate America again? Work-life balance. There you go. Essentially, another way to to phrase that. And I'll say one of the things that um, I'll one of the things that I'll say is that one uncommon advice that I've received is just that if you really want to balance both, you're gonna have to cap. You're gonna have to put like some tight restriction on one, and I I suggest that you put like a s- strict restriction on, um, I guess in this case research, right? So for example, um, you would have to commit yourself to only working, only doing research during X amount of hours a week, right? And what that forces you to do, it forces you to be even more effective. And be really smart with your time. For example, and the reason why I say that is that if you don't put a cap, and anytime I haven't put a cap on, uh, put a limit on my time, on how much time I would agree working, is that I ended up seeing it spilling into the time I was supposed to hanging out with my friends. And I would end up canceling on my friends. And at the end of the week, having a terrible week because I've been working all week. And I saw the week going nowhere and I spent all my time doing it and I didn't even see my friends, which as social creatures, you kind of need that time with other people, right? 
Mm-hmm. So that's one way to do it. The other way would be to create a social, um, essentially restrict, do, uh, do the flip side of the coin, right? You say, okay, during these hours, I will not touch work. I will only do fun stuff. Yeah. Right? Which I think that's the, that's the method I employed when I was in college. When I would say essentially from Friday at noon until Sunday at noon, I would not answer any email. I would not pick up any book. And I would either be hanging out with buddies, going out with my friends, or being at a football game. Those were my three activities for those uh, 48 hours. And I would, I would do my best not to pick up a book, but I, obviously some weeks I didn't have a choice, but I did my best not uh, to respect that time as like sacred uh, and dedicated to like the people around me. Mm-hmm. My what turn. Thoughts? Um, I agree. Um, you are way. You took a way different approach than me. Um, balancing research or balancing like you know work life balance. I think really I have a really better concept of work life balance now. I'm in um, current employer. Um, I was always fighting fires at my last um, employer, and I was always taking work home, and that really would burn you out after a while but it's hard to like you know it's, it's sometimes you don't you can't have work-life balance which is pretty which i think is toxic and they don't respect work-life balance and be like your employees constantly sending work home with you that's a red flag and that's going to lead to your general unhappiness but really i would tell myself you know what after this time you know i've given i've i've done my part of the contract i've done my nine to five in my time it's time for me to go home and spend my afternoon how I want to spend it. Maybe I now maybe sometimes I want to spend it working on something because there's a problem at work that I want to like really figure out before the day starts tomorrow. But maybe sometimes I just want to go home and like you know watch Netflix or play video games or work on a side project. And I'd also like make sure like over the weekends I I tried my hardest never to do work over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's a really like crucial. That's your time, like that's a like Saturday and Sunday. Um, for most jobs are well, at least for most salary jobs, I believe are the, are the only two days that you get where work does not have any of your time. Yeah. Like you know, you're not going into work or anything like that. You're so not I tried obligated to, do that. to go to work. I'm not obligated to go to work yeah. exactly. So. I try to use those days to like you know clean and like you know see hang out with friends maybe go like eat brunch or something like that or catch like you know a movie or something or go out at um at nighttime but I think it's really just important to like realize okay I've done my I've done my part of the deal for or like I've upheld my end of the social contract um to my employer and given my forty hours this week or eight hours this day. And, you know, it's now it's me time. Now, granted, this doesn't always apply in every single case, mm-hmm. but for the most part, that's what is expected. And I think that um, a really good manager or a really good employer will be like, listen, I know that I know that um, you have like, you know, your family at home or like other plans or something like that. And I really hate to ask this of you, but could you like, you know, help finish this? And sometimes you do end up working late. That's like that's the name yeah. of the game. You know, that's life. But I think, honestly, it's a matter of, like, keeping yourself in check and not overworking. Because I think, honestly, with your first job, people want to 
be that all star that does above, that goes above and beyond. And like you know, they want to work and they want to work, work hard, but at the same time, they work hard, but they don't necessarily. They may not necessarily work smart. They may start working hard and overworking themselves. So it's, uh, it's crucial to separate that and keep your and like do the things that you enjoy while you still can, or like after work in your downtime. Yeah, and I mean, I I will say like, I've I've had weeks where essentially I was in the office. Uh, from literally Monday to Sunday, like I've ha- I've had those weeks, right? There are a few weeks where, when it comes down to it, you got to go head down, you got to put in the work. It's what you need to do. But the key thing is that should not be a habit. And like some people can do yeah. it. Like there's some people out there who actually can just go day in day out. I personally can't. I've tried a couple times, crashed terribly. Um, we can essentially discuss that another time. And Azihai knows this about me. With every single piece of advice I give, there's an article out there that could probably super help you out. And, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll link it to the show notes. And essentially, it's just uh, this thing called fixed schedule productivity, where essentially it's kind of like details exactly in more formal manner what I earlier discussed as far as like blocking out a certain amount of time uh, of work where you get things done and the rest of the time to help you unwind, relax, or do stuff that you want, like working out, cooking food, go visit a museum, go to the coffee shop and chill. Whatever you deem worthy of your uh, leisure or whatever you call leisure activity, you should also really have time to do that. And where, where, where? Now, the next question, uh, I believe, is how do you make friends and have a social life if you move to a new area? We did touch up. You know, on... we actually talked. Yeah. We talked about this in a previous episode already, so this will be a, a quick one, I feel like. Yeah. Um, in all, in, so I think my best two, my two best tools for making new friends before moving to a new area because, you know, I've moved twice. Mm-hmm. Um, meetup.com. As a software engineer, I just went to a lot of developer meetups and, like, that was my interest, right? So I just met a lot of people there um, and those became a lot of my really good friends in Austin. I met people at my, through my barber randomly, like, people mm-hmm. the same age as me. Yeah. Um, he would link us up and we just kick it. Um, and I also did, like, what I enjoyed. Like, normally you can just go to your passions and You'll meet the same. You'll see a trend of people that attend the same event. So, like, mm-hmm. I went to dance classes and I hung out with my dance instructor in Austin a lot. Um, I would go to music shows and, like, after, like, since I have esoteric taste in music, um, I'd have, I see similar people at the same shows repeatedly. I'm just like, hey, weren't you at like the Data List or John Wayne show? They're like, oh yeah, dude, were you that guy that was wearing like this shirt? And like, we just hang out and I helped that I like interned in Austin two summers in a row so I had like two summers worth of friends mm-hmm. whenever I moved there but also moving to New York City I've made a lot of friends or met people through like the Twitters and <laughs> networking through Twitter and just people like wanting to meet up through there so that's been helpful but I've also like been trying to get active in the dev community haven't been to a meetup yet but I'm hoping to go to one on Thursday but it's definitely been like helpful to me yeah that sounds good and I mean for me, I came back to Dayton, Ohio, where I knew uh, people, and so my main uh, my main goal 
or what I've been really trying to do is reconnect more with like my family and my friends uh, from high school. So I'm lucky in that sense. But uh, if you think about it on a higher level, and I think we discussed this uh, in one of the episodes, which we'll link up in the show notes uh, when uh, in relation to this question, like if you think about it on a higher level, when you're in college, your whole social life was constructed within walking distance. Right, the people that you uh, the people that you ate with, you could essentially you would call them up, and you can it was within walking distance that you could go eat together, or it was within walking distance where you go talk about uh, international development. It was within walking distance that you could go uh, dance, and those were typically different groups of people. And when you come to the real world, you kind of have to have like a similar mentality: is that you want to go figure out places and activities that you enjoy doing because you likely meet people who also enjoy doing that same thing. The Word. only caveat is they're no longer a five-minute walk away, right? You probably mm-hmm. have to put in the extra effort to take the train or drive or take the bus to get to that place. But however, the idea is still the same. You just have to add on uh, the transportation uh, time. Uh I believe that's a good one. And the next one is, what are your thoughts on dating while black after Notre Dame? What does PWI stand for? Predominantly white university. Oh. You see, I didn't even (laughs) know about that. Um, Yeah, it's all good. And I I will, me personally, I cannot comment on this since being out, I haven't really made a valiant effort to date again. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all good, Ihai, Ihai knows of my woes. So yep. uh, him on the other hand, Ihai, you probably you have uh you have something to I say got, about this. I got stories for days, G, but um yeah, so dating after Notre Dame slash PWIs, first things first, I'm just gonna put this out there bluntly, especially for you Notre Dame listeners. Notre Dame does not prepare you for Real life dating, just like the gender relations that are so screwed up at the university, really are not. They don't translate well to the real world, right? Because, so I guess background for our listeners, you know, the University of Notre Dame is historically and actually a Catholic institution. So, um, you can you can probably guess how those um concepts from Catholicism are at least around, you know, like. Um, no sex before marriage and all that other stuff around romantic relationships translates to how humans interact at Notre Dame and the people, the, some yeah, of the people I, that are at the university. What, man? Say what you want to say. You want to Okay, 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 okay. People I, I, act, generally, so people saying, in relationships so, okay, act so, awkward at yeah, Notre Dame. No, but no, but yeah. But so at Notre Dame, it was kind of weird, right? Because going up and talking to people like if i were to go up and talk to um a woman just have like friendliness like i may not even want to ask her out on a date i may just want to talk to her that'd be seen as like either like thirsty or like you know so there's some malicious intent mess behind mal- it i wouldn't say malicious intent not malicious so let's, like to, to, yeah, to tone to tone you down right essentially is like any interaction with a girl was seen as an attempt Attention. to court her. Yeah, right? thank you. That's a better wording. It, it was seen as an attempt to court 
while in the real world that may and, not and, be and, the case. And that's not only and that's not only for like male to female interaction. It, it it's like vice versa as well. Female to male so, interaction. And so dating after Notre Dame, um, it's kind of been interesting because I think a lot of times, like a trend I saw with relationships at Notre Dame is that they were rarely ever casual, I guess. So it was kind of like a lot of people got into like serious relationships. And I mean, I'm like one to talk, right? Like three out of four of my years at Notre Dame, I was in a relationship. Well, three out of four, three out of the four and a half years I was at Notre Dame, I was like in a relationship. Like I dated somebody my freshman year, sophomore year, and then I dated somebody for two and a half years, well, mm-hmm. on and off. And um, with that, but like afterwards, I'm noticing that there's a more readily available amount of like people that I just wanted to casually date, and it's easier in the like after uni like university, it's easier to date more like to casually date like and you can be seeing more than one person at the same time. You don't have to necessarily focus all your attention on one person, and you don't re- and you can really do that without really having to worry about like people taking it the wrong way. Cause I think that's just like the expectation. And I guess, like, trying to get into a predominantly white university aspect or institution, um, at Notre Dame, I really, I didn't really, like, I don't think going to a PWI affected my, like, dating experience. Like, um, while none of my girlfriends at Notre Dame were um, white, um, they came from, like, a variety of ethnic backgrounds. But I think, honestly, at Notre Dame or at PWI, what makes it difficult dating as a black man at Notre Dame that also likes to date like black women or that may even be like ex- like attracted to black women exclusively is like is a there's a smaller availability of single black women and then also if you do date one black woman at the same time depending on who her friends are and how their like social norms are or like the social etiquette of their clique or group of uh, friends you may be blackballed from dating the rest of her friends. So as you date, you know, it's not always the case, but Although low key, I think um I think one day I don't I don't I don't remember who it was. That may have been the perception but not the actuality. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I none of us dated uh, a black girl, so we can't necessarily say if that's a fact, but that is a perception. I just I do want to know that out there because I think uh one of the older African American student um essentially kinda rejected that point when I was talking to him at a party. And I never mm-hmm. I never uh tried to test whether or not that was true. So I would say that just to add on Ihai's point is that the perception the perception of dating while back when you're at Notre Dame and when you're out uh, are pretty much different. Um it's just that different interpretation, different environment, um, different different expectations. So I think it's... Definitely. If this was a question about asking whether or not there's hope, obviously that's there's hope. hope. I mean, my mm-hmm. girlfriend's black, right? If, I'm if, in that, if, right if, now. if that's the question you're asking, yes, there's hope. Um, Depends on where you live at, too. Like in New York, like there's lots that's of... That's true. Like, you know, in here, York. so be good. Like you'd have a... Like the thing is... I think you learn more about yourself after dating. Like, you will get a variety of women and a variety or of, like, men or whatever you're attracted to. You'll meet a variety of people in your dating life, and you'll learn more about yourself. And, there's, like, after college, 
I feel like there's a lot of common traits that you may meet, like you may see in people that you go to university with. Not always, but like for a vast majority of them. Because mm-hmm. I mean, come on, y'all went to the same university. There's something about there that like the, you have something in common with them just yeah. by being there. And I think that like after, dating after college is different because you get this, you get this variety, and with this variety, you learn more about yourself and what you what you like or what you value in a partner potentially, and what you don't like. With me, like, like for example, I went on a date with somebody that had these very outdated um, perspectives on gender norms, like saying, like, oh, my job as a woman is to, like, cook and clean and provide for, like, my boyfriend or husband, and it's my boyfriend's, like, job or whatever, or husband's job to financially provide for me, and that's it. And I'm just, like, and, like, you know, small, something like that, right? And granted, I knew that's something I didn't value before but it wasn't until i actually went on a date with somebody that believed that whenever i was like oh hell no i can't never ever never ever again not even going to entertain that yeah but yeah it's always interesting experiencing so dating up to college you'll be all right like there's hope it's different but yeah there's hope you'll get used to it yeah and i will say and, like your options are definitely you have more options in new york that you'd have in a small town like Dayton, ohio so have that in yeah. mind if you're still picking where to go. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's where we're gonna we're gonna table the dating uh, aspect of that. Then yep. other... you're gonna you're gonna take this question. Huh? Let me I wanna read this one off. Yeah, go for it. Alright. So next question is do you really have to go to work when you're hungover or can you use a sick day? Uh I will say I will say this. Uh, you don't, you don't have to, I would not recommend it. Um, I think it was what, was it two, Grand Rapids two years ago, I celebrated, uh, 24th birthday and like the day, so essentially in, 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 uh, young and parlance is that I went hard that Saturday and the next day I was extremely hungover and I tried to like recover as best I can. And on when the Monday came, I decided, like, you know what? It's been one day. I should probably go to work. And the thing is, even though I, I seemed normal and I seemed like I could, like, talk regularly, the speed at which I was processing information was completely slow. I would forget common words. I would literally be talking to someone and a word would escape me. Right? You'd stare at a screen and it just doesn't work. And... To be honest, technically, when you're hungover, your body's giving you signals that you're sick. So my full advice is take a sick day, especially if your company um, is very generous. Like for me right now, we recently switched over to uh, permissive leave. So like unlimited vacation days, as many as you need to. And I believe behind you're probably in the same boat, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. And so... Frankly, you're not as productive at work when you go there hungover, um, and it's not useful. It's not beneficial to the company uh, because you're not doing your best work. It's not good for you because you have a headache all day. So if you think about it logically and where you have the most, when you're most effective, take a sick day, recover, get some Gatorade, hydrate, and, you know, just uh just rest but don't make it a habit i will say that yeah do not make it a habit like don't don't constantly not go to work on friday because you're hungover that's bad 
once a Word. year, twice a year, may be acceptable. And don't tell yeah. your boss that's why you're not coming. Just say you have a headache and that you can't work. And if they ask for details, you can be honest. But just don't make it a habit. Shoot. I was uh, honest. Like, so for after, uh, whatchamacallit, single de Mayo, like the tequila had me kind of like hungover like crazy. I mean, we had a single day Mayo party at work. So tequila's bad for I, like, you, man. is so bad for you. But I rode into work really late. Um, at like 11. This guy had a really bad hangover. But um, honestly, it all depends on your job. Like, just because I like working in the office, because it's a very collaborative environment, that's that's the main reason why I went in. But honestly, like back, like whenever I used to work at IBM, if I was hungover or something, where I just like was like really tired, I was able to work from home, and I'd rather than just having like you know deal with driving or like all that, like or having to talk to people face to face. I just work from home for the day and like take all my meetings over the phone. And that yeah. worked out as well. And, like, you know, I'd also, like, walk to the store, get me a Gatorade, and then go back to um, my apartment. Get, get me some Gatorade, get me some food, go back to my apartment and just program, you know? So if you're a software engineer and they allow you to work from home, technically you don't have to go into work if you are getting, like, being productive at home. But like Romeo said, don't make it a habit. Like, come on now, you're an adult. You shouldn't be having – you should know your limit and try not, like, to make it – Try not to go past your limit don't, on, like, that really. Just don't make it a weekly thing. That's really yeah. it. Do not make That's it a the, weekly thing. Not a good look. Definitely not a good look. All right. All right. Um, the next question is um, they're asking, do you have any advice about cold emailing slash calling people and companies when they don't have job posted but you still want to work for them. So this yeah. is, this is um, I don't know. I, I thought about this for a little bit, and I guess I have, like, untested strategy, like how I would approach it and how I would think about it. And I don't know if you want me to start with you, if you have, like, readily available uh, people's experience that you know of or you yourself. Yeah, with me, I don't think I have um, ever... Had to deal with, like, I've never cold called or cold emailed somebody. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think, like, it doesn't hurt. True. And a cold email, like, it doesn't hurt. Like, even though they may not have, like, a job posting on the website, find a web, find an email address on their website that you can, like, email anything. And, excuse me, and when you do that, whenever you do email them, cold email them, it's an opportunity to sell yourself, like, you know, explain why you're interested in the company that you really want to work for. Because honestly, if you're cold emailing a company to work for them, you're probably really interested in the company for a reason. Absolutely. And there's probably a reason why you really want to work for them. I'm going to guess that you're not really that desperate for a job that you're just going to cold email every single company because ain't nobody got time for that. But I think honestly, just sell yourself, understand, explain why you think you'd be a good fit for your company. I guess like in a way, it's a good way of selling yourself as like, you know, a little mini cover letter of sorts. Yeah. But it's not it's like, you know, especially in tech, right? It's not impossible to get like started in the industry that way and get a job that way. So it doesn't hurt. It could happen. Yeah. So give it a shot. And, and for me, I, I'll, I'll add on to that. Yes, it really doesn't hurt at all. Uh, but if you want to uh, and if you want to think about it strategically, uh, you have to think about the size, right? You're more likely to get a response 
from a small company that's just starting out, let's say 30 employees under or 50 employees under, right? At that point, you can definitely uh, cold email or write, uh, cold call people and essentially kind of get someone and expect a response, right? You can definitely expect a response. Uh, When you get onto bigger companies that are a little bit more famous, then you have to be a little bit more strategic about it, right? Mm-hmm. And the key thing is that if you're really, if you still want to work for them, right? If it's a small company and uh, you know what they're doing, you love what they do, right? If it's a small company, you can essentially write an email and say, "Hey, company X Y Z, my name is da 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 da. I graduated with this, and the background is this. Uh, I've been following your company since when you did this. I really appreciate what you guys do." And I would like to be part of the team and be as useful as possible as their position available, right? If they're a small company, they might be willing to offer you a small internship uh, where you you might essentially have to like, they might not give you relocation, pay and all that stuff, but they might have a position available where you're not necessarily working directly on the biggest product, but because they're small and growing, they still do need help. And you're part of that team that get started, right? If they're a small team, really know, if you know how to craft a pretty decent email, there's no wrong way to go about it. Now, if you're going for a medium-sized company or a company that's huge, then you have to be a little bit more strategic, right? The first thing is, if the company is huge, it's getting really famous, you want to avoid going for the people who are probably top emailed people who get the most email probably uh what all the c the c-suite is probably getting tons of emails and have extreme amounts of filtering enabled on their uh on their emails so if you email them like yes you can email them but don't necessarily expect an answer Mm -hmm. right um probably the next person that gets hit on like gets lots of email it's probably the hr person right the hr slash recruiter gets a bunch of email from recruiters and if they're not hiring at that moment all that person does is literally glances at the subject dumps the email into trash right so that's not necessarily like your best uh your best bet and even if they look at it's a 50 50 in the sense that they'll, they'll read it, you either get a chance because you're extremely impressive or not get a chance because eh, you're just another person out of, I don't know how many emails they get, who's just Word. getting to them. So then the best way, one I think the most probable way is probably play like the long game, right? Now one mm-hmm. email and then you expect to get a job. It's more like build a relationship that may or may not lead to a job, right? So, for example, if you go on the on the website of a company and then you find out that, hey, this person works here and we have the same interest, right? There's this thing uh, called like the, informa- uh, the informational interview where it's like you as the student is kind of like interviewing like the other person. So there's a bunch of questions you can ask someone at the company and ask advice, like develop a relationship, 
like a digital relationship with a person who works at that company, asking them question about the type of work they do, uh, what's their degree, how they got there, and that kind of stuff. And everybody's always willing to like lend a hand as long as all your all the questions you asked can be answered with I don't know three to five sentences, and they feel like they have enough clout and expertise to kind of dish out answers, right? For example, me mm-hmm. and Hai here, we feel, I feel like I can give, I can, like someone can email me about uh, stuff about, I don't know, electrical engineering, how I got my job and stuff like that. And I would more than happily answer them, right? And mm-hmm. if I get to know that person and I get to understand that uh, that person is capable, maybe at one point there's going to be a job that pops up and I can maybe perhaps recommend them. That's if and only if the other person has found a way to prove themselves uh, as knowing of the stuff they talk about. So, for example, I'm going to role play here with Ihai uh, a little bit. Word? Yeah. Just like, okay. just, a, just a quick, just a, it's not, it's, it's not weird. It's not a weird role play, man. Why you got to take it there? Uh, okay. <laughs> no. But so, like, for example, like, let's say Hai works at another company, right? And one of the things I know about Hai is that he loves Amber like crazy. Amber JS, he's like an evangelist, right? I know that he loves Amber, and I also love Amber, right? On that level, we have, like, a similar, uh, we like the same thing, right? I can also I can always hit him up questions about Amber. He can always hit me back. Uh, and yeah. I can expect him to answer that because he loves it. I love it. And then we can exchange a little bit of uh, back and forth, right? And then after that, maybe I have a portfolio of work that I want him to look at. <laughs> maybe he can tell me how I can improve, how I cannot improve, or what I have done well, how what I have not done well, right? If he has time to do it then he will graciously review my work for me. And if I'm extremely good, I will have placed myself in his mind as someone who's really good at Amber, right? And if there is ever someone who's hiring Amber, maybe that may be in his company or maybe another company that he knows is hiring Amber, is going to say, hey, yo, by the way, um, I'm not sure if you have a job, but here's an Amber job posting if i just follow him on twitter i can see randomly when the job post pops up on his feed i'm like oh yes let me just go and apply for that job you know what i'm saying so like it's more like creating these loose connections with the people at the companies you want to work for and just be really interested in their work and ask really smart questions because if you ask really smart questions what that shows is that not smart questions, good questions, right? Questions that you're curious about, that shows that you understand the topic and you just want to go a little bit deeper. That shows to me, like me, that you're courting, that, hey, you actually understand your stuff. And I may or may not know of something that you might be able to help with. I hope that, I'm not sure if that would work, but hypothetically, that's probably how I would go about getting a job at a company that, doesn't have job posted, but I still want to work for them. Word, word, word. Coolio. Let's go to the next question. Yeah. 
Uh, how can you break into a major industry if I don't come from a top tier college? Um, uh, yo, go can ahead. I take this one? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm from electrical engineering background. And uh, I guess, Ihai, you probably have. Yeah. I, I'm so, hoping they were talking about the tech industry then. I think, I yeah, I want to say. And, like, sorry, like, all of our answers are given from the perspective of, like, the tech industry, but that's just what we work in. So it's, like, really the only perspective we can provide, like, valid mm-hmm. feedback about. So while Notre Dame is a top-tier university in terms of uh, being a household name, the computer science program really doesn't stack up to, like, somewhere like Stanford, UC Berkeley, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, University of Washington, UT Austin, et cetera, NYU, et cetera, et cetera. So, or even the Ivy League, other Ivy Leagues as well. Um, so, bring into a major industry if you don't come from a major, um, top-tier college. Tracking back to what I said earlier um, in my last answer about cold emailing, it's all about selling yourself, right? So, so the way I feel like I personally was able to get jobs at, like, both where I'm at now and where I'm at, and, like, at IBM Watson was not because of, like, the university I went to, although that may have helped a little bit. But I think it was also on what I knew, like what I did to sell myself. It came from working in like research labs like that dealt with like data mining, machine learning, distributed computing, nanotechnology. It came from working on side projects that like allowed that sort of demonstrated my ability to learn really quickly and adapt really quickly to any environment. And I think refining that skill and that craft and then also just making sure that you can sell yourself really well helps you break into the industry. Like you have to be able to be a, a self-starter, a self-teacher, mm-hmm. or my bad, a self-teacher and a self-learner. Um, and I think that'll help you break into a major industry. Um, I don't know how it works in other industries. The tech industry, I think it's, a, it's also helpful of like who you know. It's a, it can be a matter of who you know. Well, it's a combination of who you know and what you know. And I think that's, like that also is a good look, but also like if even if you do, you may know somebody. I mean, you can engineer that, luck. Yeah, you can engineer luck. Even though you may know somebody, you still have to like you still have to prove that you're like worthy of that position at the company or that you're qualified for it. So, and like you are more than just your the name on your degree, like the name of the university on your diploma. Mm-hmm. And I know people that do big things in the industry that are high school dropouts. Um, college dropouts, whatever. Like, you don't even need a college degree to be successful in the industry. You just gotta be able to like prove yourself. Yeah, and I guess I'll I'll kind of like I, I thought a lot about how Ihani uh, essentially got. I can I can like I kind of try to re- not necessarily reverse engineer like to sum up how Ihani really got his gig was about uh, a few things, right? If you want to break into a major industry if you don't come from a top tier college is the skills that he mentioned right first you got to know your stuff but also you have to market yourself but what does he really mean by you have to know your stuff so one one of the things that he did was he actually made an android application right he built it from scratch and he made a i think was it tubular player yep yeah, so he, he built an uh, Android application from scratch. Now, if you think about the number of people who are essentially coding, and this was your junior year, right? Or sophomore year. Yeah. So if you think about the number of Wait, people... Wait, but Android app? 
Yeah, the Android app. For Tubular, that was junior year. Yeah, so if you think about the number of students who are doing, who are making an, an Android application that is as complex as a web player, right? There's not a lot of them. And if you're able to talk about it, right, that also essentially kind of gives you like the wow factor, right? So the first thing is you have something impressive that you've done, technically impressive that shows that you can do stuff, right? You can do that thing that they care about, i.e. build an app, solve complex problems. And the next thing is if you build it, they won't come. If, if you build it, you have to go sell it, right? So that means mm-hmm. that your next step is figure out how to sell it, how to get it in front of people. And that's where the infamous word networking comes into play. And if you want like a simplified, like the best way I can explain networking is just go to events where you'll meet people who might be interested in what you do and just learn how yep. to speak about your stuff. And the best way to learn about how to speak about your stuff, just think about the top five questions that are asked and like literally just pre-write the answer. Like, oh, what's your name? What do you do? What is that? What does your app do? How did you go about it? Like very basic questions that you know that everyone you'll meet will ask. Just have some pre-made ready answer for those and you'll be at ease and look like a pro going at those events because most people just go there blank unprepared but if you have like a script ready of what you will say you'll be flying through those questions and just meeting those people you're going to give off the impression that wow this guy knows his stuff and he knows how to talk about his stuff i definitely want that guy in my company so that's word, word, word. that's the best way i can break it down but yeah just Ehi essentially kind of is like a, a good example on how to do that. It's been hard. It was hard, man. Like, it's one of those things, like, you just have to figure out. I think really what, and you're right, like, being able to talk about it and, like, why I did, like, where it came down to tubular, whether it was tubular. Um, I also redesigned the entire class search experience of Notre Dame. Like, I literally built a parser that, like, scraped the entire class search website and, like, created my own database schema and then with rails and like created the UI and everything and added features that didn't even exist on the current implementation of it to my application. And just being able to talk about that and like, um, seeing how kids like, like just seeing like the, um, feedback from other kids at the university, like, wow, thank you so much for this. This is so much better than, uh, the official implementation or whatever. So things like that just like being able to sell yourself is what really is going to get you there and like showing just building projects that provide value not only to like yourself or well to yourself is fine but also if it can provide value to others yeah it also will be very dope Absolutely. so yeah so let's see i'm gonna move on to the next question yeah. um how do you avoid being depressed after you achieve your goals and lose your passion for doing things. And I'm wondering, like, what, what are your goals that you're already done with them at however old you are? I mean, are you, like, retired? <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, I will say, though, like, low-key, uh, I, I personally identify with this questions with this specific question, mainly because I, I felt like I was on that fog. I got to a point where 
for some reason, like I had lost. I wouldn't. You see, I don't. I don't like the word passion. I'm gonna say drive because drive and passions are two different things. Uh, and you lose your drive for for doing things. Uh, for example, for me, like I thought. I thought after I got into when once I got to Grand Rapids, I kind of kind of got into a funk. Per se, and what I will say is just that you after after achieving a thing, I the reason why you might get depressed is that you f- end up saying that it's not all that it's cracked up to be, right? Yeah. Okay. You, you have yeah. like a mismatch between what you thought it was and what it actually and what it actually is expectations versus reality and i this question resonates with me but i think it shouldn't be the word should the connecting word shouldn't be and i think it should be or but um no actually these these there's a case to be made for both that's true right i I think i I think i resonate more personally with or okay because like why i have a long laundry list of goals but at the same time, I can relate. What resonates with me with this question is losing your passion for doing things. Because I used to be always be sketching during undergrad. Like I, I have a like you ask Romeo, we both have like notebooks of ideas that we want to build out, and I'd always be constantly walking or in class like sketching out UIs so I can code them up later or something. And what happened was once I started working, was I got so stressed out from coding at work. And um, what I was working on at work that I didn't really have the drive to translate that into my side projects. Um, so and I think like it's hard to like and I don't I stopped dancing as like very frequently. I used to dance like three times a week in uni, but I just started dancing mad sporadically. I like, can count on one hand how many times I danced after graduation. Um Let's see. And I stopped designing because my job was to be an engineer, not to be a designer. Um, but, you know, but it's hard. I think it's really a matter of going back to like that one. Um, if your goals are work oriented, having, I don't know, some form of work life balance. Um, I feel like and I think also like to like to directly answer the question. Try to avoid, achieve, not avoid achieving your goals, but always have something to reach higher towards, you know? Um, now, granted, you may lose your passion for doing things, and with that, I think you have to identify the root cause of it. Is it because of your work life? Are you overworked? Try to take a step back from work or see if you can, like, have more of a work-life balance to take that stress off your mind. Um, is it from something else? Like, maybe in your personal life, well, maybe try and remedy that and see if that fixes the situation. But honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how to rediscover my passion for doing things. It's hard because um, yeah, I'm not entirely. I'm, I'm just going to be a stickler here. Can you not say the word st- passion? Is, is it a passion I'm, I'm for doing things? Or is it just a drive for doing things? Listen, now I'm just reading the question and answering the question All directly. Right. My bad. My bad. Continue. It's not me. I didn't ask the question. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm still trying to rediscover my drive, my passion or drive for doing things, or my. Like my drive for doing things, I feel like in college I had a passion or a drive to do things. Cause going back to the last question, I knew I wasn't coming from a top tier college. I had to prove myself. So I always had to be working to improve myself. But I, I guess it's happened now. I'm at like I've made it to IBM Watson, which is a pretty like I guess like 
it's a like employer that turns names and I'm at digital ocean, which is also a pretty like, I think top tier employer, um, in the industry. And while I guess it's, it's easy to say that I've made it, I still think that you have to, you have to prevent yourself from getting, from becoming content in a way. And to find something to reach towards it, to improve and all no, that. No, but yeah, so, but, that, but that's the question. That's that's the question they're asking. How do you avoid that? Because once you how do you avoid it, that? Because the, I don't know. Get a get a worse job. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so like, like I, it's hard because I'm because uh, I can't answer that question. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Yeah. So I I spent like the better the better half of a year trying to figure this out, um, and. I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything Ihai said, right? Um, it is useful to have something higher to reach for. But once, so like once you achieve your goal, there's you typically, um, if, if, you get, if you get a feeling of depression or you get into a funk after you've reached your goal, uh, I think for me, the way I identify that, I, I always thought that my goal was something like, really high like oh um essentially like use electrical engineering to like change the world and stuff like that i thought that was that had been the thing that was driving me through college that's the one thing that was really pushing me to do things in college and really looking back i didn't i think i identified it clearly after a while the one thing that was driving me was not to be broke anymore Right, like my my main goal after graduation was not to be broke. Get that paper. Get that paper. Like, if I want to be blind and honest with everyone, like that was my main goal. And once yeah. I reached that, like it seemed like my brain figured out, oh, now you're here. We don't have to do anything. And so I was constantly kind of like, where did that go? You remember we had like a bunch of exchanges where I was like saying, like, yeah. I need freshman Romeo, uh, Romeo from freshman year back because he used to get and I was like, done. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was the same way. I was like, yo, I need junior year behind. I was taking 22 credit hours and grinding, but yeah. taking 22 credit hours and still had like free time to do whatever the heck he wanted and was always ahead of everything. You yeah. know, where did, where did we go? <laughs> I feel like I don't know myself. <laughs> and, and I guess like, one so after you achieve your goal like one of the best way to kind of like identify it is mainly because like you typically look at what you've achieved and you kind of look up and see that there's probably plenty plenty more things that you want to achieve so what's the one way to avoid uh getting depressed after you achieve your goal so the first thing is well you you've already been depressed once right so whatever thing you were using to get you to that point if you use the same system, right, uh, put a goal, set a goal, and reach it, what's definitely going to happen is that you'll reach that goal and have the same result and be depressed again, right? Yeah. Mainly because, like, you're using the same system. You're like, well, I reached one goal, and that I was able to achieve that. Let me set another goal and reach that, right? So the problem with if you continue doing that, you're always going to reach that that point of lull where you kind of feel like uh, you're slightly depressed and you don't have drive to do things. So one of the best, most plausible uh, like response to that, to avoiding getting depressed that I found uh, was after reading a chapter 
of uh, a book by the author of uh, the comic strip Dilbert, right? And he has an idea called system versus goal. So it's, um, and I think the to like summarize it in a point is that if you're constantly trying to reach a goal, you will never be fully, I guess, content until you reach that goal. But once you reach that goal, you only enjoy having reached that goal for like a split second or a day, right? So if you took four years to graduate and get a job, you might enjoy having graduated for about a week. But after you graduate, after that feeling is going to go off and then you're going to find something else. So instead of setting goals and trying to reach them, his advice is to essentially create a system, a system by which a set of criteria if you do these things every day, you consider that a success, right? So for example, instead of saying, uh, I will only be, uh, my goal is to write an Android application and have it published, your, your goal might be, oh, write a 10 lines of code a day, right? So if you make, if you make your goals, yeah, if you make your daily goals more, achievable then that is essentially not to say more achievable if you make it a thing that you will that will consistently provide a sense of success on a daily basis for the rest of your life then that is more sustainable than just having one goal that you reach and then having to look for another goal uh to to reach for essentially and the he essentially like the author kind of like outlines it best in his book i think the book is called how to fail at everything and still be successful as chapter six i'll link uh the book in the show notes but chapter six kind of explained the whole idea of goals versus systems and the whole idea is you should set up your project slash next goals that even if you don't reach those goals you still get a sense of accomplishment and a sense of uh, skill acquisition another skill that you acquire even though you fail at it right you essentially want to create win-win situations not win or lose situations yeah so i guess that's my that's my best answer uh for that word 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 I really don't have anything to add on to that. That was a long-winded follow-up. <laughs> this, this one's going to be a long episode. Um, the yeah, next good, question. How oh. should I go about evaluating the work I'm doing? If the work I'm, if doing, the work. Is, I'm doing is worthwhile, how much does whether or not you think your job is improving people's lives weigh into it? Hmm. This hmm. is a doozy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got. I got. I got the answers. You got. You got want me to juice. start? Or you got it. You going to start? No, nah, I got it. Go for um, it. So, so depends on. So I think evaluating. So it depends on what your like mo is, right, or your prerogative. Um, improving people's lives in what way? Are we talking about in the way of going about improving the life? Like, are we talking about improving people's lives as in? solving a real societal problem such as like um homelessness or you know hunger um whether or maybe like you know 
like um not having access to a reliable and clean source of water is that what like is that that what you mean by improving people's lives are we talking about improving people's lives from a very entitled sense of like counting how many <laughs> how much of what they drink on a daily basis in their vessel or something like that i mean you know? no, let's let's but, let's 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 go from it from the the point of view that of the philanthropic point or, of view right which is improving other people's life making the world better making the world better okay well i mean it's i mean it's pretty easy to see if like what you're doing is actually like helping that or not like ibm i was working on i worked on a project that was news related and i worked on a project that was um health related chef watson so i almost a culinary application um in a way that it theoretically was improving people's lives by reducing food waste right you could just throw in the ingredients that you own and get an application like have an application generate um like it'll tell you what you can make with the recipes that are with the ingredients that you input right but at the same time or at the same effect you could also um like you know I can't. I haven't. I wasn't able to really see the tangible benefits of that myself. Now, the reason why I evaluate my work being worthwhile because the company I work for now, Digital Ocean, I was a customer before I was an employee, and that's kind of an interesting story, right? Because not many people get that opportunity to really have that type of um, role, or, like take that progression, right? I don't know, Romeo. Were you a diehard GE appliances purchaser before you started working there? No, I never actually, bought an appliance in your life. Probably, no, I never bought an appliance in my life. <laughs> Me neither. Um, to be honest, I accidentally stumbled into aviation as an electrical engineer. Yeah. So, right, right. You're like, yeah, I'm a huge fan of your planes. I mean, some people now, granted, some people like aerospace engineers. Like, some people will we like don't make that. the planes. We just make the engines. Word, but like with with Digital Ocean, I was a customer before I was an employee, and am I improving people's lives? like i'm improving people's lives because like the, so like i was saying i'm a, I was a digital ocean customer before i was an employee and i think that by working there i'm improving the lives of developers because um the the product i work on within digital ocean the community site is where all of our tutorials are hosted and a lot of people know digital ocean as a company because like your sysadmin tutorials are on point and my team's responsible mm-hmm. for that, maintaining that platform, improving it, and pushing it to the next level. And I know I'm improving people's lives by improving the experience that app provides to them. Yeah. And and I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, um, the point I would add is like if uh, there's many, there's different ways to think about it, and one of the best thinkers around this uh, specific topic is like one, uh, I think this professor at uh, Oxford, he's like one of the youngest uh, associate professors in philosophy. His name is like William McAskill or McCaskill. I had to look his name up real quick. And uh, he has this, like what, what his philosophical research, um, uh, argument was that so he has this thing called effective altruism right it's like most people really do want to make like an impact uh onto the world but like the immediate assumption is that most effective is by immediately going into 
a non-for-profit. And for some people, it's great. And some people, it's not. So, for example, like some people might be like, you know how there's some people are better teachers than others. Right. And so his argument there is that before you go into a career, you need to look at how you'd be most effective at giving back to the community. Are you better off? Um, are you the type of person who would make the most impact when you go on the field and do that? Like there's people who there are people who have certain characteristics that that's really what they're suited for, right? They're very nurturing and they know how to communicate with people with different languages and they really can connect easily with people. Or are you a person who would be more effective just advocating for the cause, right? Are you a better marketer than you are at going solving the people on the field, so solving the problem on the field, right? Or another way to do it is like, are you just better at crunching numbers and donating uh, some of the earnings that you make towards the people who are really effective at actually uh, solving those problems, right? So when it comes to like thinking about how you should go about evaluating uh, if the work you're doing is worthwhile, is like, I think his advice, right, William and Costco, his advice is first, how much do you feel you're being effective at the job that you're at right now? And if you're not being really effective at that, would you be better if you were at like the NGO or on the field doing that work? Mm-hmm. If that's where, if you feel that you'd provide more value in the office, then his argument is, Go provide value in the office, take some of your earnings and donate them to a cause that you believe is worthy. Right. So that's just one of the ways to see how much is whether like how to think about the next job and how you pick it. And uh, I'm going to link his TED talk in the show notes and also his website called 80,000 hours, which is the average number that people spend in their careers. And that has a whole breakdown on how to really think about it. But you can either think about it as am I making a direct impact to the customer or improving people's lives? That's how you were asking the question. And if you're asking the question in a philanthropic sense, then you have varied amount of questions, in the sense, varied amount of options in the sense that you can either go directly work in the field or be an extremely good advocate for it or just donate some of your earnings um, towards a cause that you want to contribute to. In all those three cases, each and in each case, your your work improving directly. You're still um, <clears throat> essentially kind of helping out. Yeah. We're now until the next question um we have how do i deal with people that won't take me seriously in the workplace this is an interesting question yeah have you had this happen to you uh so it depends on like what you mean by seriously um like always i just need to answer the question directly um if they don't take you seriously i guess you have to step back and think about why they aren't taking you seriously I dealt with that at my first employer mm-hmm. because I came in, I guess I was kind of 
don't know. I guess I, I can only describe it as aggressive in the way that I gave suggestions. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like if you are able to identify problems and give suggestions, it's like there's two ways, there's um two reasons why people can't take you seriously, or at least I think there's two sides of the coin. You know, one may be you may just be a jokester, um, and they mm-hmm. won't be able to take you seriously in that regards. And like we're keeping the questions anonymous, but I know the person who asked this one, and he's a funny dude. But then there's a second one, and there's a second reason people may not take you seriously in terms of like authority or like maybe or intellect, and that may come from a sense of superiority through years of experience. seniority. Yeah, senior. Put that in air quotes. Um, through years of experience or seniority through, um, or like, you know, through years of experience or just people that don't like being wrong or being like, they, they have a stubborn personality. And I think honestly, um, I think they'll like, in terms of people not taking you seriously for the, for the second reason, I think Dale Carnegie and his book, how to win friends and influence people has a good tip on dealing with this type of situation that people like that aren't open to suggestions and like cause of their egos. And the way that he suggests doing that is like being able to make them realize, like make them think that the idea is their own and like, or at least like, and like, you know, make them think the idea is their own. And with that, if they think the idea is their own, they're like, Oh, it's a great idea. And I think eventually, especially if it's in a group setting, people will be able to see, you know, the originator, but also, like, you know, just a way. And I also dealt with um, that situation. And since people weren't listening to me whenever I gave my ideas, I don't know why. I would just tell, like, I don't know why they didn't listen to me. But I ended up just relaying the idea to, like, a senior engineer. And, like, if he, like, most of the time he'd agree with me and be like, that's a great idea. And he'd just pitch it. And he'd be like, that's a great idea, Alvin. And, like, while he may be getting the credit, he'd just be like, actually, it was Zihani's idea. I'm just, like, the messenger. He hadn't thought up the majority of it, but I just wanted to communicate it. Um, and yeah, that's another way um, you can do it. But um, it was great. And for the first one, if you're a jokester, I mean, you gotta be professional in the workplace. Like, I'm a jokester too. I love making people laugh. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you can be a jokester as long as you're being productive at the same time and getting things done. I get my work done. No. So I can be. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so like, that's hard. What I, what I would say is it's. Uh, I will, no, I was given pretty good feedback about this. I think at the, um, I went to corporate training. Uh, you'd be surprised. Actually, I got more out of it than I expected. And one one of the feedback pieces that people came back with was that because of my joking nature of how lighthearted I tend to make things that I tend to be serious, I would say something and would not carry the same heft as it would had I said it seriously. So. Yeah. You want you want to make you want to distinguish I am like a working professional you versus jokesters you right mm-hmm. so you want to make sure those two things are clearly separate and that if you're joking make sure make people know that you're joking and if you're delivering a serious message then deliver that message seriously so that people understand oh yeah there's this is how he is when is joking and this is how he is when he is um, saying something serious. And to Ihai's point really is just that sometimes you're just gonna hit the points where uh, the other person thinks, believes that they have more uh, experience than you do, therefore 
they probably they were always reject your idea, especially if you're presenting it in public, because then if you think about it from a perspective that you're threatening their level and you're showing that you're more intelligent than them. So oftentimes you can always give that suggestion to them aside and say, hey, here's one thing that I thought about after uh, while you were saying this, I just wanted to run this by you and see if it made any sense. So that way you're still getting your point across and that person will take you seriously and is not going to be seen. Uh, you're not going to be seen as a thorough. He's not going to immediately demean you in uh, a public setting because he because of their ego or something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember that whole thread that we had about uh, when you're at your previous employer. Yeah. Oh, man. That's crazy. Egos, like the human ego is a very beautiful and yet dangerous thing. <laughs> Mostly dangerous, in my opinion. But that's a story for another day. We're at our last question. It's dope. Indeed, our last question. And uh, the question is, what are the best ways to keep learning new things? Things. Hey, hi, I'm Alexis. Yeah, just things. Things. Having fun is hard when you got a library card, but like seriously, read books. Like <laughs> that's like reading is what I what keeps me learning new things. For example, I got interested in this new programming language called Elixir, and I went out mm-hmm. and bought a book called Programming Elixir, and I, I'm reading it. I've read it almost cover to cover, and um, I've learned I've learned a lot about the language from that. But I think reading, like reading, is the first way of learning new things. But you're not going to really master or get experience with something until you actually apply your knowledge. Anybody can read a book on how to like build something with the wood, like in terms of like um, woodworking. But you're not going to really ex- improve unless you actually apply what you're reading or just like practice. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter; it's a combination of reading and applying what you read to your own projects and all that. If we're talking about like for like you know um, hard skills, like you know. Whether it's painting, programming, designing, um, you know, dancing, any like any like, yeah. activity like that. Um, I, I agree with you. Hi, books books are awesome. Or languages, I love books. sorry, languages as well. You're not going to um, learn a language if you don't practice it. Yeah, and uh, the best ways to keep learning new things uh, for me, I kind of like. I kind of make sure that all the all the most of the time when I'm not doing something particularly active, like a passive activity per se, I'm always kind of absorbing knowledge of different fields that interest me. Right. So, for example, every now and then, instead of like watching a TV show when I'm eating dinner lately, what I've been doing is watching TED Talks. Right. It takes about the same amount of time as an episode of a TV show. And I end up learning something new um the other thing that i do is listen to podcasts i make one i'm an also an avid listener to one one of the ones that i used to listen to when i was in grand rapids was uh the ted radio hour which is essentially like a concentration of a bunch of ted talks woven into a story and that also kept uh interesting things popping up in in my feed and the thing is that I typically YouTube is also actually a pretty good thing, a channel that I recommend against TED Ed. Like they explain it to 
they explain like complicated concept with cartoons and animations. I love all those things. So I also love that. And whenever each one of those, uh, each one of those topics really interests me, what I end up doing is either buy a book that I heard someone mention in a podcast or someone or like the author of the TED talk wrote and he's promoting by doing his TED talk. All right, so that's really how I find books. But in the end, what ends up happening is that I buy a book, I sit down, and I read it, and I feel like I learn tons of it. So you can use all these different mediums and media to make sure that you get interesting things to sort through coming your way. But then in the end, for me at least, it was ends up into a book that I sit down and read because that usually allows me to absorb a lot of knowledge uh, for cheap. For example, like absorbing a book's worth of, uh, of knowledge would take hours into videos while it might take just a one hour or two in book form. Or as Game of Thrones, uh, <clears throat> Game of Thrones watcher would know, it would take like seasons before you get through a whole book, right? If that. Yeah. So I think that those are the ways that at least I keep learning new things. So podcasts, videos, and heavily filtered. I heavily filter out my uh, Facebook feed. So I kind of like block everything that I don't find interesting so that only the people who post interesting stuff uh, keep popping up. Twitter. Follow interesting people on Twitter. Follow smart uh, people on Twitter. Like I've got so very smart, smart people, people. On my Twitter feed. And Twitter does. I just got it. Yeah. I just have a few. I think I have uh, Kevin Kelly is one of the one I follow. Brain Pickens. Oh my god, dude! Have you? Do you read Brain Pickens? No, nah, dude. Brain Pickens is a very. She's a very good writer, and she writes about the intersection of like philosophy, science, and literature, and it's just amazing. Her writing is just dead spot on. Highly prolific. She posts like three new posts a day or something, which is crazy. But very good um, person to follow. But I hope I hope that kind of covers the gamut of uh, some of the few ways that we keep on learning new things. Yeah. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I guess on that note, uh, what I really want to do is thanks everyone who submitted a question. Thank you for uh, making really a very interesting episode. I think we touched on numerous topics, probably some that we didn't um, we didn't answer. And just as a reminder, we did declare a giveaway. So interested in um, what was the book again? Uh, I will I'll teach, teach you, you to be rich. To be rich. Two books. Uh, email us with three sentences on why you want it, and they'll be sent up right to you. Send the email at hello at twoblacknerds.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at K-W-I-R-O-M-E-O. And Yihai, where can they reach you? You can find me at Twitter at K-W-U-C-H-U. And you can also follow our podcast at Two Black Nerds. That's a word, T-W-O, Black Nerds. And, yeah, it's been a great episode. been good to be back. We'll talk to y'all later. Thank you guys yeah. for listening. And, yes, talk to you guys later. Peace.